Hey folks, this and every podcast is brought to you by Claypot. Claypot is a Cantonese-styled restaurant that, well, surprise, surprise, utilizes a clay pot. Uh, what that means is that it really just seals in the actual flavor inside the dish, and it's you can order so many different things. I mean, you can get things like eel or pork belly, and oh man, that, that sounds great. Uh, it's owned and operated by a very close friend of mine. And really, its mission is to bridge the generational gap in terms of culture and to bring people together and to share that culture, which I think is beautiful and, let's be real, delicious. This podcast guest is a very close friend of mine. Aramis and I talk about the cultural difference between the United States and Eritrea. And it was really interesting to see that there was a mutual feeling that there was a loss of emphasis on hospitality, respect, and the exercise of imagination. Midway through the podcast, we're also joined by my roommate Josh, but it doesn't get too cluttered or anything like that. It's actually just leads to even more interesting developments and Hopefully, you can get something out of this conversation. I certainly did. Uh, it's just, I love this. So the, the whole thing started in like 1885, around 1885 when the Italians like uh, they bought a port city from uh, the locals. And they slowly started going up the coast. They got to the main port city, Masawa. And that's from where they started colonizing the country. And they started going uh, going towards the west. And that's actually going up the mountains. And they got all the way down to Eritrea. They fought a couple of uh, wars with the locals. The Italians were fighting with guns. While the locals were fighting with like spears and knives. Holy shit! My grandpa was. Uh, my great grandfather was uh, one of those. Uh, one of the fighters. Oh my and god! Crazy thing is, as soon as the wars ended and Italians colonized Eritrea, they used all those warriors. They were actually hired by the Italians to fight for the Italians. They were called the uh, Askaris, and they fought for the Italians in the War of Libya. And that's how the Italians actually conquered Libya. And there was there was a lot of uh, Eritreans fighting for the Italians. And this is like something that's not actually written in the history books. But the they took the Eritreans uh, all the way to Italy on boat. And it's you can even look it up on Google. Just type in like Ascari in Roma. And Wait, uh, how, how do you spell that? I mean, like Ascari is A S C A R I. I N. R-O-M-A. And you're going to see the reception they got when they landed in Rome. And I'll tell you, a lot of people were, like, infuriated with that. Because they've never seen black people. And black people just barge in. And they're, like, the heroes of the country. Next thing you know, they start going to bars. All the girls start liking them. The girls start (laughs) hanging out with them. Next thing you know, you see, like, babies coming out left and right. (laughs) The Italians were going crazy, so they actually, like, imprisoned a couple of them. And there was, like, kind of a protest going on in between the, uh, the soldiers. And the craziest thing that happened, in the end, when they were 
about to leave. They had to do a march, you know, an official march in the city with all the sword, with all the soldiers. The main guy, he was protesting uh, over the arrest of the of his uh, uh, companions. He actually stepped in front of Mussolini and his major generals, pulled down his pants and shot right in front of them. Holy boss! Like this is not in the history books because this is like embarrassment, total embarrassment to the fascists. They will not take that lightly. They like completely erased it. This is like stuff that my aunt told me, that like her great grandfather sat her down and told her. And like you hear stories of like the air trains defying the Italians back then. So the whole story goes, and the Italians they were they stayed in my country until uh, 1941, and uh, they were kicked out by the British when they lost the Second World War. British came in and they took everything that the Italians built. The Italians actually like experimented with my city and with my country. They were building factories left and right. It was super strategic, uh, super strategic location in the Red Sea. And they had like major plans for my country. They're actually about to put the main Volkswagen factory that's in Egypt and in Brazil. It was supposedly, it was supposed to be in my country. But then the Ethiopian emperor didn't want it to be in Eritrea. He wanted it in Ethiopia. But then everybody was like, it doesn't make sense in Ethiopia. It's, it should be in Eritrea. And that's how everything broke down. But there was, we had the longest cable car in the world in existence. Until today, there's no cable car longer than the one we had. And it was dismantled in 1951 by the British. So the Italians did a lot. Like, they built our whole city. And crazy thing is, Mussolini, whenever some, some architect had, like, a brilliant idea to build a building that was, like, weird or whatever, he was like, just go and build it in Asmara. If it looks nice for people like it, you can build it in Rome. So there's an area in my city that's just wonderful buildings. It's just it's like ridiculously beautiful buildings. Full, like, experiment, like... Oh, yeah. Because they could just do whatever they oh, wanted, yeah. right? This is This is, like... In the 1920s, 30s, it's called the, the Art Deco movement. And uh, now, you know how they have the UNESCO World Heritage Sites? It's usually like one site or like one building or like a common area. My whole city is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Okay, wow. Because of what the Italians have done. So, and, okay, but, like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, like, no, they're, ahead, like, the British came in and they, like, dismantled a lot of, like, what the Italians had put up, but there's still some leftover, like, oh, yeah, the, architecture um, or something, right? I mean, it didn't make sense for the British to ravage the city, destroy buildings and all that. They took most of the infrastructure, so they took, like, most of the rail, railroad system that was built in Eritrea, they took most of the trains, the cable cars, a lot of, like, equipment and stuff from the ports. They shipped everything to like India, Pakistan, and all that, and they were there for around uh, from 1941 until 1951, and at that point we were supposed to be like a sovereign nation, and we went to the UN and it was basically to decide either to leave Eritrea as a free country, or to federate it with Ethiopia, and Ethiopia was like a major global power back then, so they actually managed to. Uh, but like so then like would like what happened in history like did it end up like going with Ethiopia or like the old... obviously it went it went it went, it went to Ethiopia because yeah. back then it was uh, Emperor Haile Selassie and Ethiopia wasn't the only it was the only country that wasn't colonized back in the days so they had some reputation in Africa he was the most respected emperor in all of Africa and maybe even the world he lived such a lavish life 
he had like cheetahs all around him. He, he was sitting in a golden throne. If you look up Emperor Haile Selassie, you'll, you've probably heard him all over like Rastafari songs and all that. You probably don't realize, but he's, he's, he was considered a god by Jamaicans. Like when people say, I'm, I'm a Rasta, people don't know that they're actually saying his first name. Haile Selassie's first name is Rastafari. And that's where Rastafari comes from. And they say it's uh, it's it's a legend that goes that he visited Jamaica and they were like waiting. They had a prophecy that Rabbi was going to come from the motherland. And the motherland was considered to be Africa and Ethiopia specifically. And when he landed, there was a drought in Jamaica for a long time. And as soon as his plane touched down, it started raining. So people were actually like, oh, yeah, my God, over. yeah, he's the fucking God. So that's why, like, you hear all the all reggae songs. You'll you'll hear at least Jara Safari, Haile Selassie. You'll hear you'll hear them repeated. So like you you see the reputation. Like why would anybody give Eritrea to to two million people or so that are like not relatively known instead of like sixty million people with one of the better known emperors in the world. Yeah. So. We were federated with Ethiopia in uh, 1952, and then it went on up until uh, uh, 1961, we were just a federation, and, and if I'm right, in September, on September 1st, 1961, the first shot of the, of the freedom fight, of the Eritrean freedom struggle uh, was shot, and the war went on for 30 years until we were independent in 1991. What's crazy about all of this is Eritrea was a country of around, I'll give you a ballpark number, at most 2 million people, not even. The, the, the rebels were made up of around 10,000 and at their most, I'd say were like 200, 300,000. We started with scratch, nothing. You can say we started off with like rocks and rocks. But next thing you know, Ethiopia was a country of around 60, 70 million people. And they were first supported by the Soviet Union. And after they were dismantled, they were so supported by the U.S. And we managed to kick them out of Eritrea. Like, how, how does, how did that, like, all that history, you just, like, unloaded on me? How does that, um, like, how does that affect your, your country? Man, you can, you can see it. So, since we were independent in the beginning, it was all, like, it was all good. The economy was flourishing. It was peaceful with Ethiopia. They were using one of our ports. The main cause of all of this is because Ethiopia wants access to the sea. And uh, the people nowadays... After, so Ethiopia, it was all peaceful in, in that until 1999 when Ethiopia really were like... I guess they were tired. They just wanted the sea for their own. So they went on the aggressive and they conquered Eritrean land. We were defensive, we were never offensive, and we went to the international court. They said that the land belonged to Eritrea, they demarcated the border, and Ethiopia signed a binding agreement saying like, okay, we're going to leave, that's, that's it. But until today, since 2001, they haven't left. So it's like, no peace, no war situation, it's just like, stalemate. Like, there's just, there's just nothing going on. It's just like neutral, like it kind of exactly. calmed down. Yeah, I mean, it is war. But there's, like, no offensive on any side. So it's kind of like a Cold War almost, right? Exactly. Just like... Exactly. It is exactly a Cold War. 
And the people are, nowadays the people are very, very, like, patriotic. They really, like, respect their country. But at the same time, there's, like, a big brain drain going on. And it's pretty sad. But my country is technically one of the most secretive countries in the world. I'd, I'd say it's even more secretive than North Korea. Because, like, not that many people know about it. But I guess with today's technology, internet, you get to see, like, a lot of pictures coming out of there. And it's not, like, as closed as North Korea. Mm-hmm. But it's... I mean, it's not easily accessible to foreigners. But at the same time, I'm sure time will change with all this UNESCO World Heritage uh, site allocation and all that. <clears throat> there's there's a lot of, like, good hopes. But with, for the time being, I guess the best way to describe the situation is... It's kind of a suspended reality. Like, it was all going well and fine until... Like, she got messed up with Ethiopia. But I'm sure as soon as the situation is resolved, we're going to be, like, back right before the war started where it was just all peaceful and, like, prosperity and growth and all that. So there's, there's like, a lot of hope for my country. But for the time being, there's, we got we to gotta keep it, like, together. Ethiopia's, Ethiopia's in shambles because the ruling party in Ethiopia is... As an ethnic party that's only like around seven, they say seven percent, six to seven percent of Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is around like one hundred seven million people, and what's really messed up is this uh, small ethnic group has controlled almost all the power in Ethiopia, and there's ethnic, uh, there's ethnicities such as the Romo and Amhara that are around like thirty percent, so that's like thirty something million people, that are controlled by a few million people. And these few million people don't only control, like, the economics. They control the military. They control everything in the country. And their their ultimate plan was to actually separate their region from Ethiopia and take over parts of Eritrea. But now, like, their whole plan is exposed. They've been, like, going on with deception story after deception story on Eritrea. That's why, like, we've been blackmailed by Ethiopia every day. But the Eritrean government never responds because they're on the right side. They never did any wrong. Ethiopia comes up with, like, a really messed up story. And, like, recently, one of the biggest things was they, uh, they closed down one of, the, one, of the, one of the Muslim schools. And some of the students protested. And it was a big story all over the world where, like, oh, Eritrean government is, like, against uh, Islam. They're closing Muslim schools and all that. It was huge chaos, like, internationally. But when I actually, like, got to talk to people from back home, they told me, like, every school that gets that is in the country has to work by a certain curriculum. And if they don't abide by that curriculum, they're, they're going to be forced to be shut down. And there was a couple of schools that were running that were just religious schools. There was an Orthodox, there was a Catholic, and there was Muslim schools. And there was two Muslim schools. And they were told to either, like, they were going to have a director given to them by the Ministry of Education, and they had to follow the national curriculum. Because every student that comes out of 11th grade and goes for their military service has to be as knowledgeable as everybody else. So it's, it's an equal playing field. But they weren't following any curriculum and they didn't want to hire a, for, a director given to them by the, by the Ministry of Education. So by, by law, they were first closed down. But the story was twisted to kind of show to the world that like, oh, it is against like Islam, like it is doing this yeah. to its Muslim uh, population. So like, I've grown up in, in an environment where it's so peaceful. It, like, I'd say everybody's happy with the situation 
although it's a suspended reality, as I said. But everybody has hope. Everybody knows that Eritrea has potential and they have that they have a bright future coming. But they know in order for that to happen, there has to be peace. So the Eritrean people have just been waiting patiently. And they haven't been, like, aggressive at all. You don't see it in, in our news, in our propaganda. We're never, like, aggressive against Ethiopia. It's always Ethiopia aggressive against us. And crazy part, we're never even defensive. We just keep our mouths shut. And it's even better because, like, whenever it gets to the UN Security Council or whenever it gets to the big heads of state, they're always like, yeah, they're going to tell the story that they got from Ethiopia because they didn't get any story from Eritrea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. That <laughs> that sounds super complex. Oh, yeah. It is, it is a very complex country, man. We've been messed up, like, left and right. Yeah, like, I, I was, like, completely ignorant of, like, post-World War II after Italy's occupation. Like, I didn't know what happened after that. I didn't know that that was, like, a 30-year kind of, oh, yeah. you know, revolution thing. And that's what I tell people, like, imagine a country such as Ethiopia where they've been free for a very long time and they've had emperors, they've had communism, they've they've seen so many, like, so many types of parties, of ruling parties, they've gone through so many, like, culture changes, they've managed to adopt through time, and it's it's more of an open society. But when you look at us, I'm a second generation of a country. My parents are the first generation. My parents, my parents' generation came out of war. They grew up watching torture. They grew up watching murders in the streets. It was, it was awful. When my dad gets to tell me, like, I used to walk to school, and every day I used to see people hung in the soccer stadium in, like, lines. When he tells me, like, my uncle was dragged through the whole city with a tank. Like, they're the generation that freed the country, and they're the generation that, like, are starting a new country. Do you think they're going to be that free? Do you think they're going to be that open to, like, change and all that? Yeah, man. They're going to be very protective of their country, of their kids, of their future. So, like, you can see from, like, our culture, how our country works. We're, like, self-sufficient people. We don't take in any aid. My president and my country has taken in no aid from anybody. Nobody dies of hunger in Eritrea. I've never seen anybody die of hunger. Sounds crazy, but, like, our neighbors, people are dying of hunger in Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia. But how is, how is it that nobody dies of hunger in Eritrea? They've taken, like, so many provisions. While Ethiopia, while the ruling party was taking money in for aid and dispersing not the whole amount, they were taking in something for their pockets, most definitely. The Eritrean government, like, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous, but they were building a dam. It's, like, one of the biggest dams in the country. And guess who built it? I have no idea. Civilians. Jeez. So imagine they're building a dam in, like, freaking... Quincy, so how they build it is okay. Brookline, it's your turn. So they take every working adult from Brookline, and they go to the dam and work for a whole week, and then they be back. And next, it's uh, Jamaica Plains, and they take Jamaica Plains, and they did that with the whole city, and everybody had to work. Everybody contributes. There's like some ridiculous things that are done in my country that like would never, never happen anywhere else in the world yeah i mean it sounds like it's like a really tight-knit community and like people are obviously giving you know like like i grew up in new jersey which is like known for having potholes everyone's just bitches about it no one actually does anything like it's it's just it's so foreign in the u.s at least 
to have the concept of like uh like just regular civilians building a dam <laughs> that's wild to me Imagine, ah, okay let me let me make this even more interesting so do you think you could you'd be able to give every working adult in the states an assault rifle and think they'd be responsible with it in the U.S.? In the U.S. Or oh, anywhere else in the world. Fuck no, not the U.S. <laughs> so, every working adult in my city has a gun. Not only a gun, an AK-47. Handed to them by the government. And how it works is, everybody had to do their training. It was like a three, uh, six-week training, something like that. And after they were done, they have to do a neighborhood watch. They have to guard, like, a bank. They have to serve somehow in their city or in their neighborhood. And you you think people would be shooting each other left and right? I, I, by the time I had left, there hadn't been any, like, actual fatalities from these guns. Except, like, two or three suicides. Which... Yeah, I mean, that's tragic, but, yeah. like, how do you prevent, you exactly. know, it's, that's a question. And I so. actually asked my mom, I was like, Mom, has anything happened since uh, I left? And she told me it's, it's only been this one guy who actually uh, got fired from his job, and he actually, like, went psycho. He killed his uh, he killed his wife that was, uh, that they divorced, like, a while ago. He killed his daughter, and he was about to oh, kill geez. his, he was about to kill his, uh, his boss. But they, they, like, he was camping in her office for, like, three days, Jesus. and they... They caught him because he was hungry and he asked the kid to buy him something. And But that's like the worst it's ever gotten. Yeah, that's, that, well, that's, yeah, that's I don't the think worst it's ever gotten. And there's around over like 100,000 people, I'd say, that have AK-47s. Wow. So then how do you think, like, just as a totality, how does that culture compare to like the U.S.? And like, what, what, is, what is your experience in like seeing, you know parents you know this is like not even like a full generation away having experienced like war and like being like seeing bodies hung compared to you know people in the u.s who probably have never seen like i would argue most people in the u.s haven't seen a dead body like it's yeah it's a stark difference Uh so how i mean that 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 experience definitely shaped who you are right oh yeah true that but i the one word that like clearly explains my people is respect, I'd say. There's a lot of respect. Like, anything. Guns. They respect the gun like there's no tomorrow. They know what a gun can do. They're not going to mess with a gun. Like, if if somebody is caught in the act of, like, s- something bad, the worst that'll happen to him, even if somebody has, has the, like, has the sights aimed at his head, they'll never shoot. I've heard of like people escaping police and all that after they've like, after they they've done they've committed some yeah. crime in the street. The worst it ever gets is they get shot in the leg. They will never shoot above the waist. That's like one of the things that like they they like drill into your head when they're training you for the gun. So there's I guess it's respect. Like we respect the older generation. We recognize that like the generation before us, our pa- our parents, our grandparents fought for the country's uh, independence and everybody respects it there's there's everybody knows that the country has a future and they respect that it's 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 a weird vibe that's in the country like they the people I, I guess like believe that they have something in the country and they just 
they're not letting, they're not gonna let go ever. There's there's just too much history and too much. There's too much in the country to just let go like that, to just give away to Ethiopia because Ethiopia believes that she is part of it. Is part of it. They've never like they that they still to this day don't concede that. Eritrea is a sovereign nation. Eritrea is an independent country. Yeah, they believe that Eritrea should be like part of Ethiopia. I mean that that sounds very similar, and this just like I don't know. I mean it kind of parallels, but like my my father, he's from Taiwan, mm-hmm. and you know like Taiwan wants to declare sovereignty, and for I believe for some time they had a, a seat on the UN, but then there was some negotiation, and basically the UN folded. Was like yeah okay sure whatever we'll just not count them. We'll just not recognize them as a country and. Yeah. So I, I I personally haven't experienced that kind of life because I was born here and and the, the immigrant experience is, you know, a generation removed from me. But it's I feel like that the resonating thing that I've definitely experienced with people who who travel from, you know, stark differences from the US with like, you know, extreme it's just like war torn countries, you know, like there's just like tragedy and tyranny and uh, like there's just like a there's just gratitude you know like Mm -hmm. it's like my parents are super appreciative of the opportunity that the u.s has given them you know oh yeah and and like me like i'm a bum sometimes (laughs) that's that's what that's what i tell that's what i tell my friends uh like there's this weird thing i always try to explain when my parents came when your parents came to the states it was a totally different situation. They didn't have nobody to support them. They didn't have nobody to send them to college. They had to grind their ass off. Yeah. They had to go to college while working two jobs. My, when my dad tells me stories about him in L.A., it's ridiculous. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? I'm just being a lazy bum, just going to class. Everything's yeah. paid for. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, there's a huge, huge generational gap. Like when your when parents try to tell us like you should do this you should do that and we kind of ignore them telling them like ah oh, you don't know what's going on today like this is our world this is like yeah, yeah. we know better than you like we might know like technology we might know things but we don't know life yeah they know life exactly sure. like who are we to be twenty one year olds twenty two year olds to be saying life is shitty. We haven't gone even through a quarter of life. You get what I mean? Yeah. Like, I how know, the, man. How the hell can we how, can we assume, like, oh, I have anxiety, oh, I have this. Like, I'm sorry, like, this shit happens to people. It's like, it sucks, but, like, you've got so long to go. Like, this is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know if you know, but, um, like, my major was neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the prefrontal cortex of your brain doesn't fully develop until you're about 25 there's actually new research showing that it might be as late as 30 but your free cr- uh, your prefrontal cortex is the area of your brain that is associated with like logical reasoning mm-hmm. and like deduction that's why like when you fuck up and you go oh my god and you hit yourself on the forehead it's like yeah. subconsciously like you know you're uh-huh. oh my god come on brain <laughs> and it's yeah no I, I completely agree with you man i mean no, it sucks. I, I I try to like think about it sometimes, just reflect on it, and I'm like, well, this generation is really kind of messed up. They don't they don't have the respect that the older generation had. I think it's different though, because I feel like a lot of people, if they're born into a more cushy life, which is, I mean, obviously what our parents are like, what they worked hard 
to ensure that we would have exactly. a more comfortable life. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's kind of like saying, like, yeah, the parent, you could say, like, yeah, the parents shouldn't have done that. Like, you created this monster kind of thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, we got to be a little bit respectful. We got to, like, kind of see where they came from, kind of relate, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, going back to your conversation that started all of this, that's what the American kids are missing, I think. Like, yeah. when when you get to see all those kids coming from outside, it's uh, there's this thing that you you, you can't, it's, it's kind of hard to recognize, but it's just the respect. That I, the, I think it's gratitude, man. I think it's honestly just, like, gratitude of, like, your situation. And, like, maybe it's just that, like, we've had such a close first, second-hand experience to, like, holy shit, this is what hell could be like. Exactly. That we're like, oh, this is like a cakewalk. Uh-huh. Like, I got an exam. I did bad on an exam. Whoopity-doo. But again, I don't, I don't want to, like, send the message out that, like, oh, just because someone else is having it worse than you, you shouldn't feel bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, one of my friends, he, he explained to me that, like, a lot of the, the backlash, like, when, when someone is depressed and you tell them, oh, like, you know, why, how, why could you be depressed? You're so privileged, you know? Like, you have this, this, and this. Like, it's, it's kind of... Like, it doesn't make sense in the same as, like, if you were to say, oh, my God, today I had the best day. I'm so happy. And if some asshole came up to you and was like, hey, man, how dare you be happy? Some other eye out there <laughs> fucking won the lottery, okay? I know. So, like, so, like, without a doubt, I think the U.S. does have its own problems, albeit it's weird and, like, totally, like, twisted with the Internet, right? <laughs> sure. But... I mean, it's not like the all of the U.S. is like that, you know? There's, yeah. It's... I guess it's it's a case of uh, rotten apple. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, without a doubt, gratitude is something that I definitely try to, like, be more mindful of. Like, oh, my God, I'm on a train. Like, can you imagine walking this distance? Mm-hmm. Or It's just itty-bitty little things like that. And it's like, if you if you look at history and you, like, even if you just read history, the written stuff, the stuff that's already edited, it's pretty terrible. And then you tell me events like you know, <laughs> your hero going and taking a shit in front of Mussolini. Like, there's so many other things in history that we're, like, ignorant of because it wasn't recorded. Like, history could be way worse than we thought it actually was, or it could be way better, you know? Like, there's there's just the complexity that, like, we don't grasp, and I think that it's short-sighted to just solely focus on yourself and not take in the macro picture. I'm on that side. Huh? Yeah. But yeah, like going back to that, you 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 always say like, oh, you're so nice. Like the Dude. first time I came to your house, like you were so hospitable and all that. I guess it comes from that. Like I'm really thankful for where I'm at. Not that I don't like, it's not that like I'm not trying to be selfish. I'm trying to give as much as I can and all that. I'm really grateful for what I can, for what I have. And I, and I want for everybody to feel the way I feel. Yeah. And it's weird, but... Anybody that comes to my house is, like, a guest that I will respect and that I will, like, take care of. Even though I hate that person, I'll hide my feelings and I'll do whatever is, needs to be done to, like, make him happy. Maybe yeah. I'll change his, his train of thought on me. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea of hospitality is definitely something I feel is, like, totally lost. I mean, like, now it's, like... Good fences make good neighbors, you know? You don't really know your neighbor too, too well, and you're not really, like... If some guy knocked on your door and was like, hey, can I crash you for the night? You'd be like, no, fuck no, I don't know you, you know? But it's like... 
my my first exposure to the idea of hospitality as being held as like one of the top values was actually when like I was I studied Latin in like mm-hmm. uh in high school and one of the stories was with Bacchus and Philemon and they're like an old old couple. And so Zeus or or Jupiter depending if it's like Greek or Latin comes down and he poses as like a like a guest and he comes in and and it's like it's a written in poetry and it's like uh, Bacchus and Philemon the the old couple they like you know take out their best um livestock and they they kill their best livestock they prepare the best meal they take the best cuts the best bread and they they treat you know like Zeus or or Jupiter mm-hmm. to this meal and after the gods leave they're like okay thank you you know you've you've given us what little you have as you know as a, as the value of hospitality and then what happens after is that there's a great flood that wipes out that specific village or area or whatever and Zeus or Jupiter or whatever comes down and brings Boxes Philemon and says, Hey, you should you should come with me for a hike and they, they go to the top of the mountain. And because of that, they're spared. And so like that story, the fact that it was like written into like Roman and like Latin poetry, just like really echoes what kind of uh what kind of time it was, you know, that like people were so spread out and scarce that you needed a community to really survive. It goes it's like for me it's a generational thing like when my parents tell me or my grandparents tell me it's you, you've been to my house right yeah you know how it's open door I love it have, have you have you ever encountered my door locked <laughs> no it's always open and it's been like that even in my house in Eritrea with my parents with my grandparents they've always have had, had guests I cannot spend a day without having a friend in my house or a guest in my house not that I'm like I feel lonely or whatever. It's just it's just like a like a norm. Like exactly. it, it feels weird without. Exactly. I need I need somebody to. I always have some friends like that are always there to chill with me to, just talk, just chill about and uh, it goes it goes back way back in my family and it has to do like one of the things they do is uh, coffee. Coffee is one of the biggest traditions in my country and. Uh, they drink it mainly to gossip around, and it's a ladies' thing. But they just sit down and they uh, they brew the coffee, and it's uh, I don't know if you know, but coffee actually was invented around our area. So <laughs> it comes it comes from like Ethiopia and uh, Eritrean area, and we brew it like back how we used to brew it back in the old days. And they they just gossip around, and the males are like in the other room. They usually like play cards or whatever. Nowadays it's video games. And podcasts, <laughs> but yeah, coming to coming to the states was, I mean, I was exposed to the states. Luckily, I used to come here like every other summer. Oh, I was I was pretty exposed to the states, but for somebody like me to come from my country and be exposed to the states is like a big change. I was I was lucky enough. I knew good English. I was kind of updated, although like I had to link up with like one of my friends, and I was like, "Yo, give me a list of all the shows I need to watch to catch up." Like, all the hip music I need to listen to to, get, to like, <laughs> get on track. I mean, it was it was freshman year, but I did what I had to do. I had to binge watch Game of Thrones in a week. <laughs> and, yeah. uh... But it was, it was... It was a good experience coming to the States and seeing it, but it's a completely different environment, different people, different kind of uh, treatment of people. Oh, for sure. I can see that. How does, how does the, uh, the pace, you know... 
like I noticed with different countries, I mean, maybe it might be like specific to cities that there's kind of like a different pace, you know, like Boston is pretty kind of casual, but it's a city, but it's more on the smaller side mm -hmm. comparative to like New York where like the, the, like the beat of New York is a lot faster, almost mm -hmm. overwhelming for some just people. Just the people walking around in the streets. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I'd say like U.S. is uh, one of the more uh, one of the more laid back spots. Uh, no, Eritrea is one of the most laid back spots, and uh, coming to the U.S., you see that in order to survive, you actually got to hustle. But um, in Eritrea, we um, it's more governmental work, and since it's more of a suspended reality, it's more of a laid back lifestyle. People do their work, but there's not that much like hustle. You you're not gonna get the the job that you want. You're not gonna get the salary that you want. But as soon as the times change, I'm sure it's it's gonna be for the better, and people are gonna get what they actually deserve. But you'd be surprised. Eritreans that go abroad are some of the fastest learners, some of the smartest people I've known. I've had cousins that have gone straight from Eritrea and. I've graduated out of uh, MIT, like Jeez. straight out of Eritrea. I'm not. I'm not talking about like coming here, going to college here, and going mm -hmm. to MIT. They went like straight to graduate like school. Just catching all the subjects. Exactly. Like, no, yeah. like Americanized. It's, it's very sharp people, and that's why I keep saying like there's a big future ahead for my country. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it based on what you've said. It sounds really hopeful, and I, I definitely share that yeah. sentiment that like when everything clicks together. You guys will boom, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just... The situations have all been against us. Especially with, like, Ethiopia. They have lobbyists all over the states, so... Technically, the U.S. is, like, against us. <laughs> They'll never support us. We only have, like, one senator in all of the U.S. that actually supports us. Oh, wow. He's the, he's the senator from Cali. Let's go, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my experience as an American is, like staggeringly ignorant of world events so everything that you said is complete news to me like I didn't I, I don't know what that's like to, to have parents grow up through that experience what their teachings would have affected you you know how your how that affected your childhood how that affects your relationships with people it's just it's going to be completely different from somebody who was born and raised in the US you know oh yeah I'm, just just think about like what they teach you at school like, what history did you learn? Just, like, give me, like, a 30-second history from, like, the beginning until the end. Um, British people came over. Americans got pissed off about tea. Bunch of presidents. That's your That's history. And, and you yeah. probably, like, went over, like, the World War, the yeah, Cold War. Yeah, but it was, it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are incredibly dense topics. You know, any of the World Wars is going to take... A lot of depth to actually analyze i don't i don't blame high school for brushing through it i mean i'm sure like a history major would have a better substantial understanding of it and of course history has multiple different perspectives and sides and there's also always the unwritten history right? oh yeah but like one thing that i usually like to emphasize on like i'm not hating on america or like american oh, no, no, history and all that all. like every american should know american history mm-hmm but at the same time, they should they should also be exposed to European history, African history, Asian history. Yeah. And going to high school, I was actually forced to learn all of that stuff. And I was forced to learn Eritrean history. On top of that, when you learn Eritrean history, you're forced to kind of learn Ethiopian history at the same time. 
the history of the region and with like going to school and being exposed hearing stories around the city not only do you hear like about the states or about Europe you get to hear like about a lot of stuff going about in Africa and although there's not like that much internet that much media like stuff manages to get around and people manage to learn it's not like we're illiterate yeah like there's books there's everything that people need all you need is one computer with uh, internet access and yeah, that's, that's amazing how it works. <laughs> like you'd be surprised my brother actually gets to watch game of thrones episodes in Eritrea the day after the release oh wow yeah i mean that's that's like the positive side of the internet is that we can get super interconnected uh, super interconnected but it's it's just the it's kind of like Pandora's box, you know? I mean, uh, without a doubt, I would say a lot of people probably waste their time on the internet. <laughs> They're not really, like, looking up history and stuff. But, I mean, I, I totally... I remember when I was taking, like, AP U.S. history. And I was a kid. And I was, like, bitching and moaning to my parents, like, Oh, my God, I have to memorize all these presidents and I have to, like, know this stuff. And my parents sat me down and they put me in my place. <laughs> and they said, Stefan... We'd have learned 10,000 years of Chinese history. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, it's it's so staggering that like there's such a difference. And I, I don't know why it's so, you know, specific to just learn your own countries. That, that seems ignorant, especially when we're so interconnected right now. Oh, yeah. But that's a lot of information, man. Can you it imagine, is a lot like, of information to digest. Like, you don't want to come out of high school being a history major. You know what I mean? <laughs> You, you Sorry, gotta, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, you gotta make it like pretty comprehensive. You know what I mean? Like yeah, not like go America. Like I'm sure when it came to the World Wars, like that you learn, it was mostly from the American side. Like the the story kind of started when the Americans went in. Like the story, it, it's when the American involvement gets thickened that like the history that you learn. At school gets deep. Yeah. We had to look at it from the Italian side, from the German side. I went to an Italian high school. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's why I, uh, I managed to learn about, like, all the European history. For literature, I had to do... It's, it sounds ridiculous, but I had to read all of Dante Alighieri's books. No, oh, that, that makes... Like, so just relating with my father, because he grew up in Taiwan. And, uh, like, it was, at the time, very heavily influenced like at least for like when his parents were there heavily influenced by like ja- uh, japan because you know japan occupied taiwan during the, the war mm-hmm. so like a lot of the culture like spills over and, and i completely get that like you had to learn like italian right like mm-hmm. you have to learn that perspective but i think that definitely expanded like what you because you have your own personal experience you can see their other experience you know learn about the ones understand like oh this is like a multifaceted kind of situation here you know yeah it's uh i'd say when it comes to uh when it comes to exposure there's a lot of stuff lacking in the states yeah i've met i've met like people from new england that have never been out of new england and it kind of sucks i'm sure they have like the finances for it but it's just not practice yeah you don't have a a concept of like the world exactly and and we live in a a global world now just go to canada (laughs) i i don't know if canada is necessarily i mean 
all love the Canada, nicest people ever. But I don't know if that's like that's, the that's, best that's like culture the, that's, trip. That's the closest. <laughs> I mean, it's only like a four hour drive. Yeah. Like, forget New York for once. Just go out of your country. It's yeah. not like you're gonna die. <laughs> and like, when you get out of your country, just don't be like American as fuck. That's hard for some people. I know. <laughs> that's hard I for know, me, man. <laughs> I go to, I, when I like visited Hong Kong, Everyone could tell I was American because everyone was in like a sweater and like, you know, the temperature difference. And I was there in like gym shorts and tank top. And they're like, oh, that's the immigrant. <laughs> He's the one that doesn't belong. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> yeah, with me, with me it's, uh, it's kind of different being a skinny, lanky, tall African. <laughs> when I was uh, like, sorry, it was when I was going to Naples, my aunt was like shitting her pants. She was like, Edmund, keep your wallet in your bag. Keep your like. Watch your bag in Naples. Uh, they steal a lot. They do this. They do that. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this. Okay, I'm gonna do do that. As soon as I get to Naples, I get off the train and I'm like, well, these guys probably think I'm one of them, just trying to make a living out here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I've used I've used my uh, Americanness for a while. I got I got in trouble a couple of times in like Dubai. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I got a guy. I, I, one of my cousins was trying to get into a nightclub, and they're like making big fuss about it. And I had like my Dubai ID, but as soon as I pulled up my like American ID, they were like, "Whoa, American! Okay, don't ever do this again. Okay, bye, good night." <laughs> really? Yeah. They just like straight up deny you. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like you'll get a lot of perks for being American, but don't exploit it. Like, yeah. I've I've been to places in Italy where like I just go into a store like check stuff out. They'd be like, oh, look at this American, oh, blah, blah, blah. and it's high. And I'd be like, I turn around, and I'm like, oh, I'm not American. And they'd be like, oh, scusa, scusa, I'm visto, scusa. But no, I got, I got a lot of different looks, man. Well, I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I definitely think that that's one of your positive qualities is, yeah. you know, being able to fit into these different... It kind of sucks being a question, though. Yeah, I like, mean... Because you can never skip a class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll know There's, uh, the, the color contrast and the question not looking too, too good <laughs> no man I mean you're, if you're paying for it you should probably go you know I don't get me wrong I've definitely skipped classes not proud of it I've missed an exam because I skipped classes holy hell that was a nightmare bro I always I'm like scared for my life that that day's gonna come for me I know sometime that I'm just gonna skip class and it's gonna be an exam Dude, no, don't do it. Just don't do it. Or at least, like, write down when the actual exams are. Because I didn't do that. But I'm but I'm so confident in myself, I don't want to write that shit down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to remember that shit. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm so confident. Yikes, man. So then what, what do you ultimately want to, like, obtain out of business? Like a business degree? Man, it's going to sound a little out of this world. Go, cr- dude, go crazy. All that, but... My dream is to open up a restaurant. Ooh. I know it sounds kind of crazy. But no, dude, that's. I that's... got I got like a small restaurant going in my house. Like I'd be feeding people. I'd be. Uh, I've been dry aging steaks in my house. I've been making some ridiculous food, fried chicken with special ingredients from back home. My, so in order to start up this restaurant, this ultimate dream of mine. I want to apply like my business skills towards a uh, startup. Mm-hmm. So there's um, there's a spice and uh, that they use in Eritrea. It's one of the most common spices. It's also used in Ethiopia too. 
Um, it's called uh, Awaze. And uh, delicious, <laughs> amazing. I want to st- I want to start out by uh, rolling out uh, a line of sauces. Wait, how do you spell Awaze? Awaze is spelled A W A Z E. Okay, um, that's so cool. You say Z, not Z. You notice that? Like yeah. Americans say Z. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know why we say Z, but like we yeah. say Z. I know everyone else in the world. It might be like foot and meters, but <laughs> I guess I've been saying Z for my whole life. Oh, that'd be so cool to say. I just feel like it'd be really weird for an Asian to say Z. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've, I've been trying hard to uh, adopt the way of saying H. You know how British people say H? What, like H? H. H. Yeah. H. Yeah. I've been saying H. That's weird. Pass me the HDMI. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, so this restaurant is I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a beautiful dream. I have I have friends who who, you know, are involved in the restaurant business and it's it might just be because I'm super gluttonous and I love food, but it's like a phenomenal enterprise because it's so like food is just like good for the soul, you know what I mean? And I don't know it's it's not I don't wanna open up a restaurant where it's like serving a customer kind of thing i think you want like a hospitality exactly kind of. i want a restaurant where people actually try out my stuff try out my cooking it's not going to be like a fast food or it's it's not going to be like a casual restaurant it's going to be one it's, it's kind of like uh what do they call the japanese uh, restaurants where it's like you get served the oh chef. okamase yeah, Okamase. Yeah. where you get served only the chef selection yeah something in yes. that kind of uh that kind of realm, you know what I mean? Dude, that'll be dope. <laughs> but yeah, like talking about the spices that I use in my uh, food, it's their spices local to uh, the region. You can make them out here, but this is, but the ingredients are barely available. Mm-hmm. So the basic awazes they start out with uh, five. They call them five awaze, seven awaze, and how it goes is like the five awaze would be like the lower quality one. So they have the basic ingredients such as like. Chili, garlic, um, oil, salt, and they'd have uh, five spices on top of that. So it'd be the five awaze. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a seven awaze. And like the holiest of holy awazes <laughs> is like the 13 awaze. And that's, and that's the one that my uh, grandma makes. And I'm telling you, man, people actually go to her house and ask her, you know, like how you go to a church and ask like ask for holy water because like bless us <laughs> with the holy water and all that they'd go to my grandma and be like can you please give us some of the waze just like <laughs> some of the waze i love like that good half an ounce will make them happy for like a while yeah because it's it's like a pasty solution i'm telling you this thing has the potential of becoming the next sriracha yeah I, for sure i because I've definitely tried that at your place oh, yeah. before. You've tried it with the... Is that a 5 with, or a 7? With the or... dice bread. That's a 13. I got it straight shipped from Eritrea. Okay, because that was unbelievably... Oh my god, it's so good. I'll, I would I, I would totally... Yeah, I would totally go to a restaurant with that. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to remember the ingredients. And I'll try to shoot them out in a little, uh, in a little bit. But I, my brother actually went to uh, Dubai to check out the spices and all that. And my grandma was there. They went to an actual uh, spice market. And they saw all the spices. He took down a list of their prices, how much he needs to put in for the waze. And I think he came up with a list of around like 20-something spices. And out of those 20-something, I think three were local to Eritrea and Ethiopia probably. And 
that they they do have a Latin name, but there's there was no way that we could find their translation in, uh, in English. Yeah, and so where ideally would you want like one establishment or a chain establishment? Because it sounds like you're it almost sounds like you're you want to elevate it beyond restaurant more to oh, yeah. like experience you know exactly. what I mean? it's, it's, kind of like I, I don't want to compare it to like a hookah bar you know what I mean but it's like experience where you go down you relax you socialize you feel taken care of you know like it's, oh, yeah. it's the missing theme of hospitality which I think would definitely appeal especially in the states exactly so like my home bases are Boston Dubai and Eritrea and I'd like to start out in those three cities and just like you said, I want it to be an experience. I just don't want it to be like a restaurant that could pop up in any city and it just be the same food, same mm-hmm. everything. I want it to be like, I have so many ideas that I could ultimately even like put a utility pattern on. Oh my God. And like, I've, I've, been, I've been really thinking about like what I really want to do with my restaurant. And since it's, it's going to be an experience, it's not going to be just like a, a restaurant. I'm actually gonna. Ha- I'm actually gonna have the ability to protect my ideas and my like creations in the rest in the food industry, and it's crazy. I have that's a restaurant, a line of sauces, a waze, probably even uh, like a cayenne pepper type from a region called uh, Mitmita. Mitmita is spelled M I T M I T A. Mitmita. Yeah, our language is weird. <laughs> no, we have fine. we have one of the most complicated languages in in the world. I I don't know what your, what is your language? It's uh it's called Tigrinya. So it's um uh, it's a mix between like uh the origins come from Aramaic. Aramaic is uh, I think it's, it is the original Hebrew language, and it's uh it's they say it's a Semitic language in in easy words, and it is the only language that has its own alphabet in all of Africa. So every African language, either util- uh, they utilize the English alphabet. Mm-hmm. While Eritrean and the Eritrean and Ethiopian languages, Amharic and Tigrinya, they're, yeah. they're called, they're, uh, they're called Hermetic. And uh, that's the same, that's the school of where all this like school of thoughts. Oh, like hermit? Is that? Hermeticism. Like... As in like Hermes, as oh, in, like, and but also like pre it like predates Rome and Greece, like alchemy and, stuff and that we were he, talking about. Exactly. Oh, that's so, sick. Yeah. Okay, you want you want me to tie out, tie down like more and, and more history into this pre Hebrew too. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's the pre Israelite. So let me tell you yeah, this. Man. So this whole story, like, yeah, man. I used to hear stories. I used to hear stories of uh, like a city in Eritrea that was like buried and stuff, and it was like, I used to think of it as a myth because like. We never got to learn and uh, learn of it in history because there's like no discoveries, no like archaeology behind it. All we got to learn was like there was um, the oldest traces of uh, Homo erectus were found in uh, Eritrea. Yeah. The oldest Whoa. Homo erectus was supposed to be dated back to around a hundred thousand years ago, something like that. But with the Eritrea, no, actually, it's way more than hundred thousand years ago. What am I talking about? But when they with the Eritrean discovery, it got pushed back by like a lot. It was the oldest traces of Homo erectus ever found. The oldest, the oldest hominid ever found was just right by the border of Eritrea in Ethiopia. Lucy was found in Ethiopia. Oh wow! Yeah. 
Holy moly. The oldest Homo erectus uh, skull ever found was in Eritrea. There's a lot of history dating back to hominids, but coming back to like modern times, I used to hear of the city. So when I went to China, we were, we were in uh, Guangzhou, and uh, uh, no, it was actually Hangzhou. And we were just visiting, and we were like, okay, let's just visit a museum. So first we went to the tea museum, and then after that we went to the silk museum. So when I went to the silk museum, there was this huge map, and it showed the silk trail from way back in the days. Mm-hmm. And it again. showed that it touches base on Eritrea and goes from there through the now dug Suez Canal all the way through Europe. So there was, it was written, Adulis, A-D-U-L-I-S. It's this port city that used to be in Eritrea that they just uncovered, like, just in the, in the recent years, they just dug up a whole, like, church out of the ground. Like, a whole monument. It's not a church, but, like, a whole monument out of the ground. And they believe there's a whole city around it. And this is all tied back to, like, the floods, you know, the Atlantis and all that. This dates way back before, like, everything, like, Mesopotamia and all that. And they're just starting to, like, scratch the surface of all of this. And if this gets discovered, it's just going to push everything back. It's just going to change the history of, like, Eritrea and the region forever. There's, like, a lot of history. Even when it comes to, like, religion, the first mosque in the world was built in Eritrea. Really? I'm not... Like, people correct me if I'm wrong, but when uh, when the Prophet Muhammad uh, left... Um, left the Arabian Peninsula because of uh, persecutions one of the first places he went to was the port of uh, Adulis Uh, was the port of Masawa back in the days and uh, they actually built a mosque his followers built a mosque in the region before any mosque was built before even Islam was recognized in the Middle East and a mosque was built a mosque was built in Eritrea Crazy. There's there's a lot of things that are just like dug up. Nobody talks about, like yeah. even in the Quran. What did you say? The, the port city that is being uncovered is is called Adulis. 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 Uh, it's How do you spell it? A D U L I S. And that's the that's that old world man. That's it's 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 crazy. There's there's sites around Ethiopia that are just like megaliths, stone stone structures. That are just ridiculous, and people, and people can't understand how they were built back in the days. It's impossible. You you need some kind of technology, and these these structures were built like it was nothing. There there needs to be something to explain it. That's crazy. Oh my god. So like when I I don't know it's it's kind of weird, but like Eritrea has like a lot of history. Like I was I was just saying in in the holy text of uh, Islam, the Quran. They actually mention um, uh, the so-called Bahar Najish. Bahar Najish in uh, the Eritrean language, they 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 used to be called Bahar Nagastat. Bahar Nagastat it translates to uh, the rulers of the seas. And since these kings used to live in the highlands, they used to basically overlook the seas, and they used to be like the protectors of of the sea, the kings of the sea of the Red Sea, and. There's a story in the Quran about a certain king in in Eritrea 
whose name is Bahar Nagas, and in the Quran, he's mentioned as Bahar Najish. Wow. So there's links left and right, left and right, like all over the all over the place, and to get to the to the to the end, Ethiopia keeps saying like, "Oh, Eritrea is part of us. Like, we're just one." They they will never recognize our history. They will never recognize like that there was a civilization out there. Like it might have been like a big Abyssinia at one point, but yeah. like today's today. Like you know, times have changed. Like you can't just like change borders just like that. Sure, sure. But to learn about the kind of like the history of of such an old important city and like and the fact that your city is now built on the same foundation even it's just an interesting that's just that's mm-hmm. some, that's really and, brilliant and it's a trend like you've you've probably heard of all this new like archaeological trend of these uh floodings that occurred in uh they say in like before even the mesopotamian civilization was founded yeah and that could change the modern like train of archaeology like yeah. it's, it's going to change everything and people are going to deny it you're going to have everybody that has studied archaeology and that has preached it all over the world they're going to deny it obviously because you're telling them that everything they said their whole life is basically a lie you think they're going to take it easily no what are you going to need to prove them otherwise you're going to need evidence and that's what's popping up all over the place there's places being dug up all over North America, Gobekli Tepe in Turkey that nobody can seem to explain because they just don't want to admit it. Ardulis in Eritrea. There's just spots popping up all over the world that just people can't explain because they just don't want to admit that civilization existed like a while ago. Right, because it, it protects a way of life now if it's the same if it's of like the same school of oh, yeah. if you can like trace it back to oh we know this we've documented this and therefore it is the way it is now it's kind of like I don't know it, it shifts the fundamental understanding of like where we come from a little bit mm-hmm. which like yeah I get that people are averse to that but also change, keep shifting change, <laughs> change is eventually yeah. change yeah. eventually has to happen change comes yeah, yeah. exactly absolutely it sucks, but, you know, like, you have to recognize, like, that the world is not just a fairy tale, like... Which is fantastic and very important, yeah. But, yeah, times are changing, man. It's, it's just weird times nowadays. I don't know how to explain it with, like, all this technology, all this social media, everything. Like, when I came, I imagine the only thing I was exposed to was Facebook and kind of Instagram I used to post like just a couple of pictures and I used to follow a couple of people but that was pretty much it when I came here like I had Snapchat was like just came up and everybody was hyped to Snapchat <laughs> Yikyak was out oh Yikyak died bro <laughs> uh, Yikyak died Yikyak was lit at one point <laughs> but I mean there's so much it's just moving so fast I don't know what the next generation is gonna look like what the next generation is gonna think like I don't know if there's they're even gonna appreciate the past what do you think could be like 
done about that like to to remember the past what's a, what's what do you think is a good way especially when like i'm not going to be able to google these things mm-hmm. you know you're probably going to be able to google everything you're probably going to be able to think of anything and you're probably going to get it in front of you in a projection yeah i mean it, is. like reading a wikipedia article isn't going to be the same as like this discussion you know oh, yeah. you you'd get different point of, points of view but i guess you can't you can't change it honestly speaking i guess you just have to try harder to educate people to people have to get to be more exposed i guess i'd say like i've been playing fortnite to be honest with you <laughs> it's quick game. i've played with 40 year olds and i've played with like 6 year olds i guess <laughs> and you see the difference like Six-year-old is actually, like, into the game, and he's not willing to budge from his couch. They're not trying to move. And after they're done with that, they're probably going to go on their social media. And after they're done with that, they're probably going to go on YouTube. You know, it's just a constant cycle of just, like... uh, I'm not saying, like, it's not, like, good information, but it's just, like, a waste... Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a loop of information that's yeah. not, like, good for you. I guess it's not, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not, you're not learning, not, you're not learning anything. Yeah. Imagine, like, you'd go to Africa, just sitting down with somebody and him telling you a story is a totally different experience than just, like, watching a YouTube video. Yeah, of course. Like, you think you're going to remember that YouTube video in, like, 10 years? Or you think you're going to remember a conversation they have with someone? I guess it depends on the YouTube video, too. Yeah. But also, but I, I do hear what you're saying. It's like, that's the question of, like, can you truly, like, is living in a bubble living at all? If you're just getting an IV feed of, like, information and you're never actually engaging or, like, like shifting your understanding of the world, right? Like, experiencing something new, like, in person, you know? Like, you're going to a new place and, and experiencing something with someone who you know, you're experiencing something with another person and, and learning a new perspective that you didn't have before, that's not exactly the same thing as just being fed sort of information that is compliant with how you already live your life. You know, say you're not usually changing your outlook so much when you're checking your Facebook or like playing a video game or, I mean, I guess it also applies to the video game. Yeah, it depends. But, like... <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the, the, the dilemma that we're trying to hone in on is that, like, a lot of people's context is through fantasy and not necessarily through real-life interactions. That's, that's one of the things I, I was just thinking about and I wanted to point out. I'd say, like, people have to kind of shy away from just interacting with their phones and computers and laptops like it's a great idea to have tinder and like meet chicks and all that but at the end of the day it feels weird for me i grew up in a country where you had to like try hard man you had to be romantic <laughs> right you had to take a girl out you had to impress her that's you had the to human element and that was life exactly <laughs> like that's what happened imagine i have to come here and <laughs> All I have to say is, you trying to smash? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Oh, man. Three words is all it takes? I can't do it. No, 
I can't. I don't find any like excitement in it. I don't I find anything in it. I think that's why when people like say, "What do you look for on Tinder?" It's like, "Oh, I look for an interesting bio." No, you don't. But you do look for someone that is interesting and engaging and and in like in an inventive way in some sort. Yeah. You know what I mean? You want someone who's actually going to. No one wants someone who's. I mean, no, I I won't say no one. Um, I won't. Yeah, most. I'll, I would argue most I. people. Most people don't want someone who's just literally just. I don't know, making themselves available in the needs that you want to satisfy when you go on Tinder. That's like prostitution. What you're looking <laughs> for is like, what you're looking for is someone to like engage with, someone to like. I don't know. There's reason like, and all those like Jane Austen. <laughs> they're they're like doing like wordplay quips back and forth like yeah. you want someone to like spar with you want someone to like engage with yeah yeah there's, I mean there's that... something about the human connecting that that is part of I don't know courting the chase the, like falling in love whatever it's called but like there's a process that is, is like established establishing like a language yeah and like a, a back and forth with the person to see if yeah. you guys can share an energy and people are like. I don't know. We're losing the ability to share an energy with the person. And it's not... And this is not manifested only in, like, love. It's manifested yeah. in every way. And one of the, like, worst ways is, like, anger. Like, oh, bullying shit. online oh, is the stupidest thing ever. Yeah. Like, okay, somebody can write something. I want to see his emotion on his face. Because that would make a big difference... That guy's probably writing the rudest message with like the saddest face ever. Yeah, man. And I'm... like, you're you're like, somebody can say whatever they want online, but I want to see I want to see people like say that face to face. Would they be able to say that? And that's ruining things because like when you see somebody write that, you automatically think like, ah, this guy would actually go out to the public and shout this thing, and he and like. But in reality, this guy wouldn't say yeah, anything he's, remotely he's, to that. No way, you know? It's it's just the fact that, like, with the internet, any YouTube comments, you can pretty much expect the worst of people with zero repercussions. And I think that's that's definitely shedding light on, like, the worst aspect of people, right? It's like, oh, I know I can get away with it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, I know, I definitely, I definitely agree with just the general sentiment that we're kind of losing the ability to to connect and to like share expression between each other, especially when it's so easy as like double tap for a like. Oh, so and so must be into me, or so and so must like me, or you know, it's weird how we have like a like a digital stock. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what I tell people is, um, I'm not. I'm not like uh fuck I'm not living in like a, the stone age where I where I don't like comment on stuff or anything. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day like where I believe we're like us in our from I'd say like the 17 18 year old 16 year old probably probably some 15 year olds in the states are like the last of a generation that actually had like real social interaction growing up and for me, in my country, it got to, like, the worst of the worst. Like, we had, we had points in time where we had, like, no electricity for, like, a good two days. And trust me, those were some of the best times of my life. 
because you, you just got two lit candles in your in your living room. It's just like all the brothers in the house, or like a couple of friends. You're just chilling. You have the most down to earth, real conversations. I'm sure no kid ever has that in in the states. It's kind of sad, but like I'm sure somebody has that. But like yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It it kind of sucks. Like we're we're the last generation to like grow up playing board games. Probably like nobody plays a board game. Every board game you play on your phone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, mean, like, I was I was trying to tell my cousin that we play <laughs> that we play uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and he's like, uh and I was like, listen, like, why are you on me? I'm like, our parents, okay, think of your parents, okay? What the hell did you do? You think your parents grew up playing? And he was like, I don't know. They didn't play no games. Yeah, they had this game. They had Dungeons and Dragons. They had their mind. They had their adventure. They had they had their cre- creativity. They had a master that was narrating a story, and they had to be creative. They had to come up with, with whatever they, they they just had to close their eyes, and they used to play like Super Smash Bros. You know that <laughs> yeah. it's it's not that like yeah. Super I'm sorry they don't have Nintendo, they don't have the Wii, they don't have the PlayStation, but they had their brain, and they could play a much better game than whatever you're playing nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I I know my experience with that was that. I didn't really get um, cable television until I was in like eighth grade, and like video games were like here and there. I didn't get allowance. I didn't have a job. I was a kid, so I couldn't buy video games, and I would just bum off whatever games my brother had. And I remember like one of the clean, like the crystal clear memories I have, and one of the funnest times I've had was when Smash first came out. And like me and all my friends would just go on like the playground on the jungle gym, and we would just like pretend that we were characters and like shoot fireballs at each other and swing on monkey bars and holy fuck that was so much fun and that's like way more fun i mean smash is fun obviously but it's like there's something about that that i think is is missing is that like because you're engaging because it's you and you're engaging in like a very you are collectively agreeing to engage in like a high stakes version of this reality that you've you like want to live in right like you're all collectively agreeing as a group and we do this when we're playing D too and i'm i'm so glad you said yeah. that man because no, when i said no, i could launch in i was literally talking i was like you're talking about you know living through through an imagination and yeah. fiction so and narrative and that's like i love D and i could go on about um, this all so, day. so just for context mm-hmm. uh josh uh is a dm so like you should totally yeah you should join a campaign with me. Oh, I'll, I'll be down. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. I'll, I'll bring the dice. We'll actually get some real dice. Going. Yeah, bro. Yeah, dude. We'll make it authentic. Dude, he has a bag of dice. There's like, a bag right? of dice. Literally, where is it? It's like probably under that table. Yeah, I thought, there's, I, there's, yeah. Some, there's some dice here. Is it the twenty face dice? Oh yeah, obviously. Nice. There's okay. some dice here. I know we knocked some dice yeah, over when we were throwing them. Yeah, right here. Or I mean, this one was the one that was. Ben told me you guys used the. Well, I mean, Ben and I do because we're new to it but right. um yeah my character sheet's right there dude oh nice. yeah, we have character uh, we actually drew our characters that's oh yeah sick. see that's that's oh there was um in my first game there was a i played with a girl who was like an artist uh-huh. and she like 
her 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 style was like a really I, I loved her like cartoon style. It was very Adventure Time esque. Oh, that's and dope. And so like she drew you know during our first campaign when I was like sixteen years old, like drew pictures of our characters like doing things from the campaign for, uh, or, or like from that session, um like little scenes or like little groups of the little pictures of the group of the whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so after the session there would be these little portraits of our characters um, from scenarios from the night and I always associate D&D with like drawings of the characters now it's super visual for me because of that experience early on and I think I do enjoy like the the new character sheets but I think there is, there is something useful in having a visualization of the the persona that you're sort of you're playing out this world in right there's so wait so enough about my experience with D&D how did you how did you start playing you said so, that's something that you played when you were it was, uh, a teenager I, I didn't play when I was a teenager you I actually started, started playing, playing it pretty late yeah yeah. well it's, it's uh, when I originally came into the states uh, one of my friends actually invited me to play D&D and I didn't know what it was and I honestly like kind of ignored it right until Everyone I does saw it first. no I didn't know what it was honestly yeah. I didn't ask I was just being ignorant I just and uh, it all came together when I started watching Stranger Things. It's a great show. And as soon as I saw that they were playing Dungeons and Dragons, I was like, "Okay, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons." <laughs> and but yeah, like no kid probably like not that many kids probably play D and D because they'd be considered nerds. And like one of the things I'll, I'll relate back to my country. Growing up, we used to play, like, games, and it was, um, they, they used to be, um, periodic, uh, like, within a year, you'd have, like, a period of the year where, like, a certain fruit grows, and this fruit, it has, uh, it's really hard on the outside, it has a hard shell, you have to beat it with a rock, and you remove the shell, and it has, like, the sweet, uh, outside shell that you eat out, and it has another, like, hard shell like, like a coconut that you can crack and there's like this nice like round hard like core thing it looks like a big seed and what kids do is they uh poke a hole in the bottom they put like a big uh, screw and they turn it into a top so you'd actually play like you you play like you'd, you'd use it as a top and you play that they'd, they'd have different games and the other season would be uh, marbles so everybody, every neighborhood would just be playing marbles. Yeah. And then another one, you'd get um, uh, bottle caps. So what we used to do is get bottle caps. We used to smash them flat and then fold them in. And you'd have like a like half a, circle. Like a taco. Exactly. <laughs> and we'd make like st- structures out of it. We'd like make belts and all that. And it used to be like seasonal games. We used to have like a lot of seasonal like stuff. Like whatever comes, you just make something out of it. And what's crazy is my younger brother, that's only younger than me by seven years, he doesn't do any of this. He's just, he just plays games because he doesn't think that's like what cool kids do. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Like cool kids don't play D&D. They play Fortnite. I feel like there's like an element that like... The engagement personal that we're talking about it's, it's not even that i feel like you need some engagement in nature too you know like i don't think 
Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's, because it's, but it's, maybe it is nature, but it's not quite nature, it's not quite, it's like aspiration for something, right? Like, you're, you're playing the game for the, for, for like a greater purpose, like to serve a narrative or to serve like, because you want to like, I don't know, if you're playing D&D, if you're playing these games like pretending to do Smash Bros, it's, it's not necessarily because you want to win or like you want to... I don't know. There's, I think you just want like to. There's like a higher element that you're striving for. I think what you're doing is is effectively like wanting to play out a drama. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's that obviously has, you know, interpersonal connections. But I also feel like, I I don't think you're gonna get the same kind of um, abstraction or or. It's not the same like building or digging a hole in Minecraft as it is like actually having your shovel and digging holes yeah. outside on the ground. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a difference. Yeah, there's there's like ingenuity in the kinds of games where you're turning whatever you're given that season into this like world, into this like elaborate sort of. I don't know, you know, you know how you can explain it easily. Just just look at it this way. So like games. It'd be you playing with your hands and it'd be the game interpreting what you do into like a vision and that's why you play it. Like video games. Exactly. Yeah. But when you're doing all uh, when you're doing the impersonation, when you're doing like your Dragon Ball Z, like Hamehameha and all that, you're basically, your hands and like your actions are like playing the game, but your brain is the actual video game that's like in its own world, playing a game, <laughs> relating with your friends, like, you feel like he's shooting a fireball. Like, one of the things, I just saw that lightsaber over there. <laughs> Bro, the, the amount of lightsaber wars we had with my brothers. He touches your arm, like, your arm's gone. He touches your leg, you gotta fight, yeah. like, on one leg. It's very high stakes. It's so many lightsaber wars in my house. Ridiculous. You think people would, like, Kids nowadays would have as much fun with lightsabers as we did. I certainly hope so. I wish they do. Yeah. I wish, but... I hope they do. It's going to be probably like a five-minute thing, because they can probably go on a fucking VR kit, and they can have much more fun on a VR kit, and battle with like a real Jedi. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. but it's it's not... it's I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, because it's like... In the VR world, it's already constructed for you, you know? Exactly. The game constructs it for you. But in reality, it's you, your brain and your fr- brother's brain or whoever you're playing with that's just in a game. And you guys are just, like, playing. Like, everything around you is just, like, the environment. It's just a game. It's and just... you, yeah, and you learn how to cooperate within that, especially because you are encountering someone else who's also building the world. Like, you either learn you learn how to engage that way and to, to engage and to coexist and to collaborate and to work towards something together or to work against each other competitively in a way that is like still, you know, doesn't break the social boundaries. Yeah, like Catan, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, I, you're conditioning yourself, especially when you're like doing these things with your friends and like actual other people, not like a simulate, like a simulation of possible, uh, like dialogue menus that you can like follow in a video game you know like my problem with the the simulated you know vr thing isn't that 
you're you're not having an experience but that it actually it usually doesn't actually put that much responsibility on the player it's usually if the in this like simulated experience the the player the audience member is gonna like get one of a few responses anyways and it doesn't really matter much what they do or how they've been acting it's like sort of predetermined and it doesn't actually take much responsibility to take action in like a video game but it, it does when talk, you're like working with people in real life talking about that like you know my like i wish there was like way more of these games and they were like way more like intricate is the games where you narrate your own theme you know where yeah. you actually start a game and there's like so many branches that you can branch out and like you, yeah. you basically develop your own story those i feel like those games can relate more to the yeah. like to our reality but i'm sure the kids don't enjoy it because like they want to have the same ending they want to reach the same trophy the same goal like it's yeah i want to have the, the top score you know i hope not it's, I, mean, I always i always love choose your own adventures man exactly like since how, like, how much better can it get schools players that would be one of the first things i would like run towards it's like i think the the main difference that we're kind of chipping away at between a virtual game and one that is imaginary is that when you're playing it out in real life you actually have to like negotiate the rules with the people you're playing with right like i could be like oh i'm ness i sh- i froze you then some kid would be like no you know you didn't fuck off i'm, I'm you missed you know and you negotiate the better okay fine okay i missed this time next time i'll get you you know and it kind of teaches you the complexity and like the boundary that you can push with other mm-hmm. people growing up and you got to get a sense of like okay like this is this is the game that we can agree to play without too much like predestination that you would get out of a VR headset <laughs> and it teaches you a lot it makes you like way more mature like you you understand people better you you're better like decision making you're better at negotiating and it's weird but you can you can do that in games like you you can you can talk over the over the party, <laughs> yeah. you can shit over people, but that's pretty much like the most you can do. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know, maybe it's just like more reconnected with the real world, and I guess it depends on the level of fantasy you have in the game. But like most sports, right? You would, you would, or even the lightsaber battle is restricted by your actual physical limitations. Exactly, and I think that's something that's that a lot of people playing video games miss out on because you just start with like a starter kit oh, I'm, I'm the soldier class oh i'm the assassin class okay. and you don't you don't get the well, like oh you just earned it you know you don't actually like oh you, you don't identify with your physical self you know it's almost like disembodied i think josh you, you totally like are against like i mean i know you you always tell me like no man you're too cerebral <laughs> yeah i think the physical like knowing how to be a physical being in the world is really important too because it teaches you how to actually physically coexist in a space with other people which is also really important and like the uh, the we can't forget our physical selves mind body spirit connection you know um wow i sound like a trope of myself um, <laughs> um but I I do agree that there is something really important in that abstraction um, that comes as well. I, I, and I think on top of figuring out how it is you can you like you have to like 
behave, you use your own behavior to co- coexist with other people. It, it's also like you, you gain so much in creating with another person. In playing Super Smash Bros. with another person, you might, your friend might try to move, a, use a move that Ness has in a way that you never would have thought of throwing ice before or or countering with like i don't know it's just some like creative like 10 year old bullshit that is like (laughs) that actually does change your line of thinking a little bit that's like oh that's something i never really considered before and you become more creative as a result and and because you are sort of negotiating the creation of this world together you're, you're finding out how to collaborate which provides way more possibility like endless possibility. The the most the most like I don't know, I sometimes I feel like the most creative thing to do is to like encounter another person because it's a totally different perspective. And, and not only that, I think it's also just like when you encounter another person, it's like you have to treat it as equal value or equal um contention. Like if you if you encounter a non playable character, you just smash the A or X button until you get past the dialogue and you're like, fuck this guy, I don't care. Okay, what's my mission? All right, cool. Now I'm just gonna go and slay the dragon and, and save the world. Instead, in real life when you play, I think you have to like really set the boundaries, like, oh man, like if I don't set the rules right, this person's not gonna play with me. They're not gonna cooperate with me. And I think that's like a huge difference, is that in a video game it's it's engineered so that you basically have a prettier linear path exactly and one of the things is when you set the rules it's kind of like you want to make it easy for you to win but at the same time you're not going to want to make it too easy for your opponent to realize there's like a lot of like train of thought that goes in in mind of like a little kid he's like yeah i'm trying to do this like let's let's make the rules easier for me but like i can't cheat like thinking of cheating and all of that Imagine all of that going through a kid's mind. But, like, you can play GTA, you have all the cheats, you have everything that you can unlock, you know, the storyline, you know, what you can do, everything's available. It's you kind can, of... It's kind of like that you can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like you're, you're, you're a bully. Like, you basically get to set the rules and, like, you get to dictate the game. Like, there's there's no, like single individual experience in playing it it's just a common shared experience and that's what's i think that's what's kind of messed up like i love games i freaking love games and i love it because there's other thousand people that love it the same way i do but at the same time like everybody's playing the same game and i don't feel special i want to feel special like the only way i can feel special is if i'm if i'm probably like the best of the best in the game, but if I if I play Dungeons or Dungeon D and D, I can be the best in my own world, and yeah. my friend can be the best, and it's it's never like yeah. everybody can be the best. Like it's it's yeah, it's also it's a tailored time. it's a individual tailored experience. Exactly, it's different. It's your your world, your person that you are in this whatever allegorical fantastical uh, version of our world because of course the world that you are playing in in D&D is a version of your world because this person that you're playing is some version of a truth that you know to be true or 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 or, or playing out 
you're playing out an idea of, of, of ideas that are present in your and our own world as, as of course we we do with any, like, I don't know, anything we create. Right. But you get to, <laughs> you get to play that out and, and, and your D and D experience is exactly it's tailor-made it's yours and it's different from anyone else's exactly nobody can probably come up with the same thinking with the same story that i come up with and even if they do have a similar character the way they play it would be entirely differently because just different people yeah you're an individual and i i don't want to freak either of you out but once you graduate and you get like kind of settled to like post-graduation life like the the most exciting and equally terrifying thing that you can realize is you can literally do whatever the fuck you want. Like, you can... You want to travel the world? Save up. Do it. You, you, can, you can do it, right? You, you have the liberty to do it. You, you, I, I feel like it's somewhat of a disservice to, to go through the education system and always have, like, a track planned out for you I mean, obviously, I'm a weirdo. I, I like, you know, the more complex the problem is, the more I'm attracted to it is. <laughs> and so... you like those five-headed dragons. <laughs> yeah, I do, dude. I love chaos, chaos. dude. <laughs> but, but it's just like, you know, I, I was always followed by the books, go to high school, get good grades, cool. All right, get into college. Check that off the list. Go to college. Okay, do good enough that you can get a job. Okay, cool. Check that off. Now you have a job. Okay. And I now I ask my parents, what, what is the next thing that I need to do? I don't know. It's your life. And you guys just, like, what, what, do, you want to, what do you want to do? What do you want? And then and the, the, the open-ended question of what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And you don't have to know it or, like, have it sorted by the time you're 22 or, or whenever you graduate. But it's just... It's, it's a big question, you know? And I feel like the interactions you have playing as a child, you know, negotiating, interacting, cooperating, competing, all these things would actually help you in navigating your life after you escape, I suppose, the, the standard system. Right? After, after that, what do you want to do? You want to you own a restaurant? Go it's, for it. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like... You're playing, you start a game and you have to set your own rules. And uh, just, like, just like when you were a little kid, whenever you, you were playing a game, whenever you had to do something with your friend, you had to set the rules. You had, you had to say like, this is my end objective. I want to beat this guy. I want to do this. These are the rules I got to abide by. I guess that's, that's what you're up to nowadays. You just... Uh, you're just trying to decide. I think kids got to realize that change is uh, change is imminent. And I think it's up to them. I don't think we can force anything on them. Especially like with today's generation. I feel like they're more stubborn than ever. <laughs> and like you tell them something and they're going to be like, get the fuck out of my face, you... <laughs> You old piece of fuck, you know? <laughs> Do you think so, or were we like that? I like it, man. I mean, you know, they're not going to get to play the Nintendo or the Sega Genesis. <laughs> so, like, 
I've done like so much more stuff. Like they don't know what a VHS is. I was in court last semester. My professor was asking like, what is uh, what was the like before CDs, whatever. He was asking a question about cassette tapes. Yo, nobody knew what a VHS was. Nobody in my core class. It's kind of interesting how like certain tech has like certain almost like a. Yeah, timestamp. Yeah, like a like an abstraction that's like tied to it. That's Walkman. Sorry, Walkman replaced by iPod. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you got to get on the side of. It's hard because you have to be on the side of technology because technology, like you said, the world yeah. is always changing, um, and you have to be with innovation. But you also, we have to find that balance of like how to be innovative but also staying connected to our humanity and each other exactly. not getting lost in the machine that's uh, it's, it's all about finding the right balance i guess we were we were raised on the more like social side than the technology side but we kind of grew up to shift more to that technology side but we also got to see the social side so we've got we've got to see the like best of both worlds yeah. Before us, it was all social, no technology. After us, it's all technology, no social. So that's why I was saying, like, we're the last kind of that generation that I guess we have to kind of bridge the gap. And that's why I was, I was trying to force my little cousin to play D&D, and he was like, this is some, like, nerd shit, for real. <laughs> and I'm like, just keep playing, man. Just be creative. Just, like, be in your own world, man. And he wasn't into it until, like, he really, like, he started, he, he got, he got out of, like, his comfort zone. He he he, start, he stopped, like, thinking, like, yeah, I don't have my friends around me to, like, judge. He's, he's in his, like, own game. He has his own, like, imagination. Like, it's kind of, like, clouds where you just, like, gotta come and, like, fit in comfortably. Because he was just, like... A tempest just didn't want to go in. It was just gonna. He thought he was gonna ruin everything, or he thought like we were gonna think like who's this kid? I don't know if it was like if he thought that we were not gonna like him, or if he thought that like he didn't like this game so he couldn't play it. There was something he had to get over with, but as soon as he got over with it, it's, I'm sure it's something very simple. But as soon as he got over with it, it was just easy going. Yeah, and he's actually like enjoying the game. Fantastic. Well, that I mean, a lot of people, I know, it will take them a little bit to get into D and D because the first time there's a lot of, I mean, depending on how people heard of it or what they know about it, there's a lot of expectation involved, and there's a lot of, oh, I think I know what this is, or, um, or trying to play a game in a way you 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 think it's supposed to be, or because you've like it's, seen it's it on murder TV. hobos, right? Yeah. Which, like, it's basically <laughs> when people just try to kill everyone in the game to get to the end, and they quickly realize that, like, hey, you can't do that. Yeah. The King's Guard is going to fuck you up. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's before the people, it's before people understand kind of what it means to be, like, a person in a world where your actions have consequences. I, I wouldn't even say that. I think it's also just, like, a majority of D&D, or surprising chunk of D&D, is dialogue driven. It's not even combat. I mean, it depends on your game you're playing too. My games tend to be very character heavy, and as a result, I mean, just because there's a battle map 
down doesn't necessarily mean you the only way out is fighting it just means that like this is i'm visually representing the the scenario in this in this in this way that is is i've decided it's beneficial to show with like graph paper in this moment but like that doesn't mean you just beat the big bad guy until he's dead and that's how you clear the level it's like you can engage you know with people socially to try to you know come to a solution for the problem it's not all it's not all axes and like i don't know attack magic so then like do you think that the idea of negotiation or at least like compromise is somewhat lost when you're playing these video games where you just smash the a button until you get past them it's like hack and slash oh yeah definitely because there's there's no negotiation because you lose the game you're able to restart immediately it's not like yeah that's right you, you made a mistake and like learn from it and you can correct it and you'll pass the level next time you, well, you don't you don't go through the experience of like negotiating it's not like you immediately start over you're gonna ha- you're gonna try to look for like other paths if you can go one way or the other if one way's safer or not there's always like a second a third or fourth uh, alternative and it's up to your creativity up to your imagination while in a video game it's like a set story you gotta follow what what's written and it kind of sucks how does it because it drains the people of imagination and that's why like Fortnite is like I'll I'll, I'll mention Fortnite because it's it's kind of interesting yeah, there's, because a, there's a creative aspect exactly to it. and I, not, I don't know the game I played it. so oh. it's it's basically a game where you drop it in, into a map it's a hundred people and it's a random storm that appears it's circles that start shrinking and they're shrinking random spots and you drop in, you you loot crates, you loot buildings, and you get weapons, shield, and all that. And the creative aspect of it is that you can um, break down wood, um, like buildings, get bricks or metal, and you can build from like walls to flat surfaces to stairs. So like if you if somebody's shooting at you, you can just build something like you can build a big it, tower. It's like yeah. Minecraft. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like Minecraft with guns. Pop, with guns. <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting because you can build like a wall and then like block yourself off. Yeah. So you won't get shot anymore. Build a ladder, and it's crazy how fast people can build stuff. Oh, yeah. They just they yeah they just build like a tower instantly, and then they like snipe people off. And what's interesting is like talking about negotiation, and, like working with the people. One of the things is you can play in squads and. Once you play, is you loot and you got extra shield. It's like, hey, you talk on the mic. It's like, hey, I got extra shield. Anybody need some? Somebody comes and you give them shield, and it works like that. Like anybody need ammo? Like you need a gun, and like you're helping each other out. Like communication. Exactly. It it's, I like the game because it bridges like a lot of things from like stuff that you expect to be in games, but it's not in games. And you're like, how the hell did nobody think of this game before? And this game just pops out of nowhere and it's just the biggest game in the world. There's around like 4 million players active on average. I think it was like 3.4. It's probably higher right now. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think that just acts as a testament that people are kind of craving the 
the imagination and the cooperation that you would get from playing at your like middle school jungle gym or whatever you know and it's i interestingly enough there's another game that when you were mentioning how when you die at a save or whatever you could just respawn there's there's multiple games coming out now where it's like if you die you have to like have a new character just start from scratch all over again and and i think that's kind of uh acknowledging that that the appeal to the game of life is that like you could die right is yeah. that you, you have uh, one try exactly. and you're always all in no matter what you're all in and that's something kind of lost when you could just say ah i fucked up pause reload the last save so it's interesting i mean it's it's really cool how games are evolving to kind of necessitate this <laughs> this need that we we almost have yeah well because otherwise quickly I think arrives at the sort of very um, dominant perspective within like meme culture right now of like well what's the point anyways it's like if the, the, the I'm gonna die a million times and I'm just gonna like keep trying the same thing and not really give a fuck how many times I die mindset is almost the same as you know realizing oh life has no meaning and therefore why should I bother trying? To to me, it it, it strikes a no, no, no. I, I, sort of pessimistic. I see that chord. I can see that. I mean, I like I've already even discussed just in general. Culturally, we're kind of hitting like a rock bottom nihilistic point where everyone's kind of bleeding out messages of death through memes. <laughs> do, you, do you do you see that? Do you see much of that? Yeah. Do you see that? Like a lot of memes are like, "Oh, I wish I was dead," or some shit. I haven't been exposed to that side of the world. Oh, bless. Maybe it's just my circles. That's <laughs> good. Oh, I try to keep positive vibes around me. That's good, I, man. I enjoy that. I think that's the right... Yeah, because it's... Because it's a, enough awareness that, like... Enough awareness to not be naive, <laughs> but also having the... Having the strength to, like, live for something. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's why I like to keep people around me. It just keeps me more engaged, more connected, feeling like more positive. And I just believe that you just have to live in peace, happiness, and everything's just gonna fall in place.